Thank you for downloading this sermon from Holy Trinity Reformed Church. If you live in the vicinity of Mooresville, Indiana, come join us as we rebuild Christ's Holy Church out of the ash heaps of American fundamentalism and evangelicalism through repentance, revival, and reformation. If you would like more information about Holy Trinity Reformed Church, or if you do not live in our area but would like to support this ministry, please visit our website at reformedholytrinity.org. So we've been looking at faith in action, building God's kingdom in challenging times. We have been considering things out of First and Second Corinthians, and the reason we wanted to give ourselves as low a bar as possible, and so we kind of found one of the churches that was in the biggest messes in the New Testament to uh, use uh, for our guidance. And we could have picked the church of Laodicea as well in the book of Revelation. Uh, they were pretty messed up too, but you read about the Laodicean church and it's like, oh my, yeah, that sounds pretty familiar too. And uh, 1 Corinthians just seems pretty familiar to us, uh, or excuse me, the church at Corinth seems pretty familiar to us. Uh, because we have some similarities in how messed up we are. Although, I would say, and you know, you have to take this for whatever it's worth, that we are more messed up than the Corinthian church, and uh, maybe even more messed up than the Laodicean church there in Revelation chapter 3. But, they are fitting analogies for us to consider. Uh, because they were having to deal with their problems and correct them so that they might become useful in the work of the Lord. And what is the work of the Lord? It's the building of his kingdom. And so what they needed was faith, true faith, put into action in order to build God's kingdom in all of the challenges and difficulties and obstacles that they were facing. So we have been considering these things, and I want us to go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Next week we will start, cons- oh, I think, I don't know that we'll get through today's message, but next week or two we'll start dealing with the immorality that was hindering and defiling the church there at Corinth, and of course making proper application uh, to us today. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 1. This is an epistle written by Paul. This is the same Paul who was Saul and had the Damascus Road experience. Remember when Jesus Christ revealed himself to Paul. And one of the statements that Jesus makes to Paul on the road to Damascus because Paul was going about persecuting the church and persecuting and killing Christians. And that's where he was headed as he was using the Damascus Road to make his way to find more Christians in order to bring persecution upon them. And Jesus Christ revealed himself uh, to Paul. And one of the things that Jesus says to him, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. Now, in older days, we don't have much experience with this nowadays in dealing with livestock, but, uh, you know, 
people don't understand, you know, everyone's always got the pictures on their walls and they want to feed them when they go to the petting zoo and all that kind of stuff. But I don't care if it's a horse or especially a mule um, or an ox, they can be really stubborn and uncooperative. And the thing that mankind has learned through that experience and the reason why maybe we don't know these things today because we no longer experience those types of things is that it takes force in order to submit the will of another to your will. I used to work with horses. Um, and you have to put a bit in their mouth in order to guide them to go the right direction and to do what you want them to do. And, you know, a bit is not very pleasant. We've had them where they were bleeding because they were so stubborn um, and wanting to do their own thing. And you had to keep a tight rein. And sometimes you would have to put in a rough bit because you couldn't hold them with a regular bit. And you'd have to put an extra rough one in there. And that would eat away at the sides of their mouth and cause them to bleed if you had to, you know, use some brute force in the ordeal. Well, sometimes these creatures don't even want to go anywhere. Anyone ever heard about a horse or a mule balking? You'll go... That's the signal to go, okay? That's what we used. And so uh, you give them the signal to go, and they just stand there. Now, they were, just, they were doing it yesterday, but they've decided they're not going to cooperate today. And so we would take the lines and start smacking them, trying to give them a little encouragement uh, to go forward. Well, sometimes you had to have more encouragement. Well, in the old days, going far enough back, sometimes they would even just use a stick and sharpen it to where you would know it if it was poked against you. <laughs> to prod them. King James uses the word pricks. Okay, that goes along with it, right? Some other translations use the word goad. Have you ever heard about trying to goad someone to do something? Like goaded them. And so they would have to um, poke them to get them to go. But a lot of times what that was used for is that another thing that happens with these creatures is you put them in a harness, you hook them up to a cart or a wagon or whatever it is, And they're contrary and obstinate, not wanting to do what they're supposed to do. And so then they start kicking at the rigging behind them. Boom, boom, boom. Well, first of all, they'll end up hurting themselves. Second of all, they're going to tear up your equipment. And third, you're not going to be able to accomplish the work you're trying to do. And so they would kick... And then they would goad them. Or sometimes they would uh, put spikes on the back of whatever the equipment was, maybe a cart or wagon, so that way when they kicked backwards at it, 
they would hurt themselves, inflict a little pain. So what Jesus is telling Paul is that you can kick all you want, but you're only going to hurt yourself. You can kick at God. You can kick at his authority. You can kick at his institutions. But you're only going to hurt yourself. And eventually, you're just going to be made to do what you should have just done in the beginning. Right? Well, Paul takes that mentality with him as the Lord sets him apart to go and establish churches and to order churches, Paul takes that mindset with him. And so as he's dealing with the church at Corinth, he understands that, and you see this also in the book of Galatians with the church at Galatia, that Paul understands that sometimes you have to inflict a little pain. We, we used to understand that, but we don't believe in coercion anymore. That's the reason why nobody does what they're supposed to do. That's the reason why they riot and burn cities down and innocent people get killed is because we don't believe in coercion anymore. They could have put me in charge, and I guarantee you, it would not have happened, and it would not happen again. Because if they keep pushing it, they wouldn't be around here to do it, right? Because you use as much force as is necessary to get compliance. We understood that when we used to work with livestock. That you use force equal to the resistance in order to change their mind. So Paul is dealing with the church at Corinth, and we're going to start seeing some of that mindset coming out of Paul. In verse number 1 of chapter 4, as we have read the last two or three weeks, Paul says, let a man so consider us. So there was division, remember? We talked about all the sectarianism. And, you know, they were dividing even amongst the good apostles like Apollos and Paul and Cephas. But there was also division with the false apostles. So Paul deals with all those things and he deals with them differently because with the good apostles, he seeks for unity. With the false apostles, he seeks for division. Same way with the church of Galatia, if you remember. You know, so so he seeks for unity amongst the true leaders of the church and separation from the false leaders. So that's why he says, so let a man consider us. Consider us. Paulus, Cephas, and Paul. Remember, because they were dividing. Some thought Paul was best, or some thought Apollos was better. And they had all their little preferences. And so he goes through there telling them that they're nothing but servants of God. 
that they plant and they water. It's God who gives the increase. But they're all one. They're all laboring for the same thing. They're all working for the same. They're working for the same master. They're working in the same kingdom. And so there should be unity among them. Now he's turning his attention because of those who have brought in world philosoph- or worldly philosophies and the wisdom of this world, and it was diverting them away from the true apostles and diverting them away from Christ and turning them unto other things, just as Paul told the Galatians, unto another gospel, which is not, another, which is not the gospel, But it's another in that it is turning them away from the true gospel. And so he is telling them here, consider us. Apollos and Cephas and himself, the true apostles of Jesus Christ. He says, consider us. And there's two ways in which this is going to be considered throughout the book of 1 Corinthians. It's going to be considered, first of all, of what they are. He says here that they are servants of Christ and they are stewards of the mysteries of God. But also, he's wanting them to consider them in another light. And that is stated in verse 2 when he says, Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. This is a standard. This is a litmus test that Paul is giving them in order to identify the true apostles and the false apostles. And this is what you see unfold throughout 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. Bob Dylan, anyone? Anyone? Yeah? Good? Any fans? All right, all right, got one fan. I'm a fan. Yeah, if, if, if I had the proper setup, I would have turned on a little clip of what I'm getting ready to discuss, just so the younger people can hear some good music. Instead of Lady Gaga, ga, or, yeah, Gaga, that's the base, but not Lady Gaga, Gag, Gag. But anyway, he wrote a song called Gotta Serve Somebody. Anyone ever heard that one? This is off the Slow Train Coming record. Um, but he released it in, I think, 1979. And this was the first release during his gospel period. And it was titled, Gotta Serve Somebody. It was, of course, met with uh, <laughs> all kinds of different reviews. Because uh, most, uh, most of the uh, record industry did not like his gospel period. Um, John Lennon. He actually publicly criticized the song, and he wrote a parody of, itself, of the song called Serve Yourself. Yep, there's all kinds of cultural wars going on in ways we didn't even understand. But anyway, it, it did become a hit. But some of the lyrics from that says, But you're going to have to serve somebody, yes, indeed, You're going to have to serve somebody. 
Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. There's an essence of that that Paul is implying here that becomes more evident throughout the epistle. And that is you're going to have to serve somebody. There was a lot of chaos and individualistic stuff going on in the church at Corinth where people were trying to rally around this man or that man or a different man instead of rallying around Christ in the church. And so Paul was attempting to bring them into compliance to Christ and his church and to bring them into compliance to the true leaders of the church. Well, today we have utter chaos going on in regards to this. And first of all, our message should be, yeah, you're going to have to serve somebody. It might be the devil or it might be the Lord. As a matter of fact, I would say it a little differently. It's either going to be the devil or the Lord. But you're going to serve one of them. One of the two. You either serve Satan or you serve Christ. You can't serve both either. Jesus said, you can't have two masters. You're either going to serve the one and love, or you're going to either love the one and hate the other. And so you got to serve somebody. And that's something that we have lost today as well. Because when it comes to how this service is going to be conducted in the world, is that Christ and Satan both use means. It's the service to the devil or the service to Christ is not some intangible aspect. It's they're they're tangible. Satan and Christ both use means in this world for their service, which also means that they use men. They use men for the advancement of their kingdoms. They use men in order to gain followers. They use men to lead people in service to them. So you got to serve somebody, and it's either going to be Satan or it's going to be Christ, but you got to serve somebody because you're either going to serve the ministers of Satan or you're going to serve the ministers of Christ. Therefore, it becomes very important to know the distinction between the two, which Paul will deal with in these two epistles, just as he does elsewhere in the New Testament. But I wanted to read a couple of things here real quick or try to read them real quick. I'll start off with John Gill, so that way we can feel like we're we're um, kind of upholding our uh, Baptist uh, pedigrees and uh, reputation and resume. Okay, But John Gill, talking about this passage of Scripture where it says, Let a man so account of us, he writes this, 
Though the apostle had before said that he and other ministers of the gospel were not anything with respect to God and with regard to the churches were theirs for their use and advantage, yet they were not to be trampled upon and treated with contempt, but to be known, esteemed, and honored for their work's sake and in their respective places, stations, and characters. And though they were but men yet were not to be considered as private men and in a private capacity, but as in a public office and as public preachers of the word. And though they were not to be regarded as lords or masters over God's heritage, but as servants, yet not as everybody's or as any sort of servants. What he's saying is is that they were servants to Christ. They are to be servants to Christ, not servants to the people. All right? And then he says, And as, as, as the ministers are servants of Christ, as qualified, called, and sent forth by him to preach the gospel, as ambassadors in his name, standing in his place instead, and representing him, and therefore for his sake to be respected and esteemed, And as such, who make him the subject of their ministry, preach him and him only, exalt him, talking about Christ, in his person, offices, blood, righteousness, and sacrifice, and direct souls to him alone for life and salvation. And stewards of the mysteries of God, though they are not to be looked upon as masters of the household, that they have power to dispose of things in the family at their own pleasure, Yet they are to be regarded as stewards, the highest officers in the house of God, to whose care are committed the secret and hidden things of God, whose business is to dispense and to make known the mysteries of divine grace, such as respect the doctrine of the Trinity, the incarnation of Christ, the union of the two natures, divine and human, in his person, the church's union to him and communion with him, with many other things contained in the gospel they are entrusted with. And then he comments on this section, moreover it is required in stewards to be found faithful. He says, upon mentioning that part of the character of gospel preachers as stewards, the apostle is put in mind of, and so points out that which is principally necessary in such persons as that a man be found faithful to the, tr- to the trust reposed in him, to his Lord and Master that has appointed him to this office, and to the souls that are under his care. And then may a minister be said to be so, and which is his greatest glory when he preaches the pure gospel of Christ without any human mixtures, the doctrines and inventions of men, and the whole gospel, declaring all the counsel of God, keeping back nothing which may be profitable to souls, when he seeks not to please men but God, and not his own glory, and the applause of men, but the honor of Christ, and the good of souls, and such a faithful steward, was the apostle himself. Now you can read John Calvin in this section, and it is very similar to what John Gill wrote. And you can read Matthew Henry as well. And uh, he says very similar things. As a matter of fact, one of the things that 
Matthew Henry states in regards to this passage. He says, it is a very great abuse of their power and highly criminal in common ministers to lord it over their fellow servants and challenge authority over their faith or practice. For even apostles were but servants of Christ employed in this in his work and sent on his errand and dispensers of the mysteries of God or those truths which had been hidden from the world in ages and generations past. They had no authority to propagate their own fancies, but to spread the Christian faith. So, on one hand, they're not to be too highly esteemed, but on the other hand, it is their job to speak for Christ. Matthew Henry says, The ministers of Christ should make it their hearty and continual endeavor to approve themselves trustworthy. And when they have the testimony of a good conscience and the approbation of their master, they must slight, or in other words, disregard the opinions and censures of their fellow servants. So, what is beginning to go on here is Paul is battling for the authority of the church. He's battling for the truth. And he is battling against these false apostles. He's battling against those who are trying to divide the true apostles. But he's also battling against the false apostles. So he's wanting to unite the true apostles. But he is wanting to cut off the false apostles. And so this is the beginning of a standard or a litmus test. You see, later on in this chapter, in 1 Corinthians 4, Paul will go on to say, Therefore I urge you to follow me or to imitate me. He says in verse 17, this is the reason why I sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1, Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. You see, you've got to serve somebody. You have to follow somebody. You have to trust somebody. And that's a message in this world that we are presently living in that needs to be reiterated. It's not the authority that's the problem. It's the abuse of the authority that's the problem. It's not the authority that's the problem. It's unqualified men who are the problem. It's not the authority that is the problem. It is the falsehood that is being enforced through authority that is the problem. But you are going to follow somebody. You are going to trust somebody. You are going to serve somebody. So Paul tells the Philippians brothers, be followers together of me and mark them. Which walk so as you have us for an example. So Paul is saying, listen. Mark these guys. 
and see if they're following our example. And if they're not following our example, make sure it's known. In First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6, Paul says, And you became followers of us and of the Lord. You see, you're going to follow somebody. If you're going to follow the Lord, that means you're going to follow others who are following the Lord. Or you're going to follow Satan, and you're going to follow those who are following Satan. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul says that they were not trying to utilize the power of the false teachers... But they were making themselves an example for them to follow. In 1 Peter chapter 5, listen to this passage of scripture. The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Submit to God. Resist the devil is what comes out in the next part of the passage, where he says, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. There's not much humility to be found today, is there not? Is there? Everybody is, the younger is rising up against the older. Citizens are rising up against the rulers. But we are told that we are to humble ourselves. In Hebrews 13, 7, Bible states, Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow." considering the end of their conversation or their behavior. So, who are you going to follow? Because you're going to follow somebody, and you're following somebody. We used to, when we were young in school, um, early teenage years, we had a, a couple of boys, and we had a Christian school, and so they was always telling these wild tells. And my dad was always like, that just, that, that don't sound right, you know. And he's like, who told you that? And they'd be like, Rupert. Well, Rupert was one of the neighborhood, I don't know what you would describe him as. But... Uh, one of the neighborhood boys that thought he knew everything or had an opinion about everything anyway. And um, they thought he was some kind of an expert. Even when he came up with some of the most ridiculous and stupid, stu stupid stuff you could imagine. 
they hook, line, and sinker because Rupert told them. Well, Rupert wasn't very wise, and Rupert wasn't one in which to follow, but they followed gladly. Now, you could tell them something that was true and something that was real. Eh, you know, they wasn't going to believe that as readily. But the wilder and the crazier the Rupert story was, the more they wanted to believe it. And that's the way it is with us many times. But yet, we want to pretend like we're not going to follow anyone but our own conscience. That we're not going to follow anyone. We're going to make up our own minds and our own decisions, which is hogwash, because you're following somebody. You are submitted to somebody, and the question is, who are you following? See, that was the question here in the New Testament throughout the epistles of Paul, and that wasn't a question of whether they should follow. It wasn't a question of whether they should yield. It wasn't a question about whether there was authority. There was a question about who. Who? That's the question. Who? Who are you to follow? Notice what Paul says. Let a man so consider us. If you want to figure out who to follow, consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. So you want to identify those who are servants of Christ and who are stewards of Christ. You want, as Paul says... It is required in stewards that one be found faithful. You want to find these servants and these stewards who are faithful. Notice the first thing we need to notice here this morning is that it's not about us. Paul makes this very clear even in reference to his battle against false teachers and false apostles in his day. That it's not about us. In the first part of this epistle, as we were discussing sectarianism, Paul points out that it's not about them. It's not about Paul. It's not about Apollos. It's not about Cephas. They're just servants. They're just stewards. But they are the servants and stewards of Christ. And so he says it's not about us. As a matter of fact, in verse number 13 of 1 Corinthians 4, He says that they were being defamed. They were made as the filth of the world, the offscoring of all things unto this day. It's not about us, he says. We're nothing. Nothing special. Matter of fact, Paul will get into the aspect that he was nothing special to look at and he was nothing special to listen to. But you know who the... Corinthians were influenced by is those who look good and those who sounded good. Right? Not much has changed. And so many people today even trying to pretend that they're not influenced by anyone and they're going to be their own man and they're not going to follow any man. But yet, they gravitate unto those that look good to them and sound good to them. 
And they're influenced by it. Everybody's influenced by something, right? Remember all the goth people in high school? Remember? Or whatever day you lived in, there was always some kind of countercultural type thing, right? And so why were they trying to be countercultural? Because they wanted to be different and no one was going to... Uh, no one was going to define anything for them. They were going to define everything themselves. But then they always looked like the other guy that went before them. They wasn't blazing a trail. They was following someone else that did it before they did it. And they liked it. But Paul says it's not about us. He says in 2 Corinthians 12, For though I would desire to glory, I will not be a fool. I'm not going to glory and boast in myself. I'm nothing. I'm just a servant and a steward of Christ. That's all I am. He said I would be a fool. And he says that we should not think of him or think of anyone else above that which we ought to think. And so, in 1 Corinthians 3, he asks this question, who's Paul? Who's Apollos? He says simply, they're, just, they're ministers by whom you believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. And so he goes through all these things. And he says, first of all, though I preach the gospel, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory in. For necessity is laid upon me to do what? To preach the gospel. That's what it is about. The preaching and the proclamation of the gospel. It is not about the man. It is not about his looks. It is not about his charisma. It is not about his eloquence. It's about the gospel. And so he says, I'm not going to glory in myself. My job is to preach the gospel, and so therefore I'm only going to glory in Christ and glory in the cross. And so he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 5, For we preach not ourselves. There's a lot of things that's being listed here that we need to pay attention to that's going to help us identify false and true and which way we should go. To answer the question, who Will you follow? He says, we don't preach ourselves, but we preach Christ Jesus the Lord. And ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. I heard Creflo Dollar one time preaching a sermon. If you don't know who he is, he's, he was on uh, the religious broadcasting networks, you know, like TBN. Uh, a shyster. A scam artist, and he said, God wants every one of you to be rich. But before God will make you rich, you have to make me rich. We preach not ourselves, 
but the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul asks in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, he says, Are they ministers of Christ? He said, have, have they been in labors more abundant than us? Have they received more stripes than us? Have they been in prisons more often? What he's saying is this. Is their ministry all about their own gain? Or is it all about sacrificing and giving all to Jesus Christ? In 2 Corinthians 2.17, he says, We're not as many of these others who corrupt the word of God. But we speak Christ. He says in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 2, We have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. Why is he making this comparison? Because he's saying that's exactly what they're doing. And listen. If you can't watch TBN and understand that that's exactly what they're doing. Creflo Dollar, Kenneth Copeland. My. Kenneth Copeland had to have a $10 million jet, private jet that he told everyone that God told him that they had to give him the money so he could have that private jet. Is he preaching himself or Christ? What has he suffered for Christ? Is that, how are we to follow him in the sufferings of Christ when he hasn't given up anything for Christ? You see, we need to understand something. You have to serve somebody. It's either Christ or Satan. Turn to 2 Corinthians, and I know time is uh, at the end here, but turn to 2 Corinthians. We'll introduce this, and we'll talk more about it next week. And we'll deal with this chapter next week. Look in verse number 12. Paul says, but what I do, I will also continue to do, that I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things which they boast. See, Paul's wanting to cut certain men off, certain false Teachers, false apostles, false pastors, false elders, false leaders. He said, because they are boasting in themselves. They're preaching themselves. Now I want to cut them off. He says, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. Yeah, they use all the language. They talk about the Bible, they talk about Jesus, but it always gets around to them and how they can profit 
And so they're false, he says. And they pretend like they're apostles of Christ. And he says, and it's no wonder that they do this. And why is it no wonder that they do this? He says, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. The devil doesn't come along with the horns and the pitchfork and the tail and the red suit. Because everybody would flee. No. He comes along and he's good looking. Perfect teeth. White. Perfect hair. Great charisma. Eloquent. A man that has much in the flesh to boast in. And he uses those things for his advantage. He uses those things in order to benefit and to fleece the flock. You see, Satan himself even transforms himself into an angel of light, and it's no wonder that these false apostles transform themselves into apostles of Christ. And then notice in verse 15, Therefore it is no great thing that if his ministers, Satan's ministers, Satan has ministers, It's no wonder, it's no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. So we'll consider this a little more next week. But the question is not whether there are apostles and pastors and elders or ministers. The question is not whether there are leaders. The question is not whether there's authority. The question is not whether or not you're going to follow them. The question is who are you going to follow? You've got to serve somebody. And we've been called to serve Christ and therefore follow those who are following Christ. Therefore, we could ask the question that, as I've quoted before, the great theologian Bob Dylan When he's saying, do you ever wonder just what God requires? You think he's just an errand boy to satisfy your wondering desires. And then he goes on, when are you going to wake up? When are you going to wake up? When are you going to wake up and strengthen the things that remain? The reason why we follow those types of leaders who think that God is an errand boy to satisfy their wandering desires is because we want God to be our errand boy to satisfy our desires. Therefore, we acquire teachers. Because we have itching ears, we acquire teachers. Who will scratch where we itch? You see, people think they're autonomous and independent, but all they do is follow the false apostles, the false pastors, and the false elders in blind submission, rejecting the true apostles, pastors, and elders. 
all the while following these false apostles that bring about adulterers in churches and pornographies in schools. And as Dylan said, you got gangsters in power and lawbreakers making rules. Spiritual advisors and gurus to guide your every move. Instant inner peace and every step you take has got to be approved. Because we're following the false apostles. And so the false leaders of his day and the false leaders of our day continue to use these things for their own advantage, while the true leaders sacrifice all for the glory of Christ, the advancement of the gospel, and the building of the church. Moreover, it is required in stewards to be found faithful. Find the guy that is being faithful in the midst of all the trials, tribulations, afflictions, temptations, persecutions. Rather than arguing about why you should not obey, maybe we should start asking this question, who should we follow? Because you're going to serve somebody. You're going to follow somebody. It will be the devil, or it will be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the ministers of the devil, or it may be the ministers of the Lord, but you have to serve somebody. Father, We pray that you would help us to be wise in a day that is very unwise. We pray that you'd help us to be light in a day that is very dark. Lord, we pray that you would help us to be truth in a day that is filled with falsehoods. Lord, we pray that you would grant unto us the guidance that we need, the wisdom and discernment that we need, so that we would not end up following Satan, that we would be true followers of Christ. And we ask this in his name. Amen.